Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have the honor of speaking this morning with Dr. Emily Harris. Dr. Harris is a pediatrician who specializes in general outpatient care, primary care, but also child and adolescent psychiatry. I want to read a quote from her bio that I really feel is so important and definitely describes the beautiful, wonderful person that she is. I listen to what family, what the family is saying, but also for what they may not know how to articulate. My expertise is associating the mind-body connection, and I believe brain health, along with good nutrition and exercise, is critical to a child's development. I love that. Her special clinical interests include early identification and treatment of mental health risk factors, and improving the awareness and prevention of mental health disorders in youth, including childhood depression, anxiety, and ADHD. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and that is actually how we've had the opportunity many years ago to meet when we talked about bullying. And in addition to that, though, what I learned about her in reading her bio is that she enjoys puzzles, baking bread and desserts for others, and meeting new people. So welcome, Dr. Harris, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here, and it's always um, inter- it's always interesting to hear about yourself. Like what others think. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much. No, I I love it. I I I know a lot about you, but it's always great to learn new things about people that you know. And one of the things from your bio um, that you tied in with your enjoyment of puzzles is that one of the reasons you went into pediatrics and especially psychiatry Mm -hmm. is you like to put the puzzle pieces together, and that can be very challenging. And helping people realize, you know really just live their best lives, which I love. And that's one of my missions as well. Now, you mentioned in your bio about brain health. Can you explain exactly what that means? Well, um, brain health is a term that is uh, being used a lot more lately, I guess, in in some of the media and definitely in um, what I learned about Alzheimer's research, but I'm thinking about brain health in terms of how to describe mental health in um, a physical form uh, and how to actually relate it to kids uh, when I'm trying to ask them how they keep their bodies healthy. I also ask, how do you keep your brain healthy mm-hmm. and you know how to help give them some um, active insight into what they're doing is important for a lot of different reasons in development Um, and brain health is one of them. Well, and it's interesting because I read once that we spend a lot of time in our thoughts, which where do those come from? They come from our brain. And so if, 
you know, just like we take care of our bodies physically, we have to mm -hmm. take care of our brain mentally too. And when I think about brain health too, and we think about, okay, getting enough sleep and mm -hmm. exercise and eating well and, you know, spending time with the people that we love and all that is, is so important. But sometimes things get a little bit off and that's when we start to see, you know, where kids are becoming anxious or feel down and, um, or just even when you were talking, you know, you mentioned the ADHD, just not trying to identify what is actually a disorder versus what is just maybe not getting a, enough of those healthy life skills that we talk about. What What are your thoughts about yeah. that? I know I just kind of like threw out a no, no, open-ended question, but uh, it's okay. It, it really starts there. I know one time yeah. you were, you had brought in on a lecture that you gave us and it was a triangle and it talked mm -hmm. about like the different interventions mm -hmm. where the tip of the triangle, where which is of course more narrow is medication. And mm, then there's yes. that base. So yeah. what I really want to talk about today is let's talk about that base in yes. brain yeah. health. So what you're describing, and um, actually, I'm, I'm so happy that that resonated with you. That is something um, where I'm a very visual person and having like a visual explanation often helps me understand like what I'm trying to relay. So me too, me too. Uh, what, I'll describe it a little bit. It's about uh, the mental health continuum in terms of, you know, when like at the base of the pyramid is brain health promotion. So we can think about it in terms of, you know, um, one is like disease severity, but the other is also kind of like the disease burden, like how much of an impact it has on um, the population at large. So thinking about it from a disease severity standpoint, uh, we all have mental health. I think we often use the word mental health and we're meaning mental health disorder. You're right. Uh, and you're right. It's one of the psychiatric things that I am like, well, it's good to have mental health. You know? <laughs> That's true. Um, I didn't think about that. Mental health is healthy. <laughs> so it's uh, it's about, you know, taking care of your mental health. So the, the brain health promotion piece is um, you know, being able to just reinforce like your strengths, like what you're doing well, and kind of like understanding how these do relate to your brain health and why it's important. It's not just, um, you know, being lazy if you need to like reset and recharge, right. it's not, you know, different things that we need um, for our brains is like important. And it's like solid foundations of sleep and nutrition and activity, hands down, our human bodies are made to do that period. We also yes. have to have brain rest and resetting um, in different ways too. So then thinking about like when you're at risk, so you have some symptoms of a mental health disorder or a problem, like these are risk factors that are present. And it's, um, you know, the times where you may not meet criteria for a disorder, but have some things that aren't quite right. So like those disruptions in sleep, those, um, you know, one or two things that are happening, but not technically, you know, meeting criteria so much. And then as you move up the triangle or the pyramid, uh, then you start to have, you know, whether you're having impairments, like, like either academic impairment, social impairment, like that's when the, when the 
the symptoms are kind of getting in the way. And those symptoms are often driven by thoughts, like automatic negative thoughts or automatic thoughts that are happening. Yeah. And um, we can talk ants. more about that if you want. Yeah, then, yeah exactly. Ants. Sometimes <laughs> so, I'll describe it to kids as ants, you yeah. know, and, and they remember that a little bit easier. Yeah, frankly, I do too. So after I saw <laughs> that, so, um, so and, and like going up to the top is, uh, you know, like when you want to start like the early preventive or the early treatments to prevent a disorder. And then, you know, you actually have a disorder. Then you have like a severe disorder. And often we think about mental health disorders in that top period, like that top little triangle about like disease severity. It's like, oh, wow, depression. Wow. That must be really hard to work with. You know, it's like really hard to feel so, so, um, you know, severe of uh, impairments that people go through. Um, But I'm actually way interested in you know, how do we recognize it when the risk is present? How do we address it? How do we like just let people know that this is a sign of something that could be, um, you know, make your life harder and disorders get in the way. For sure. They're not helpful. (laughs) No, they're not. And, and the thing is, is that we all have a little bit level of anxiety. For example, Mm -hmm. Um, it's our go, you know, like you've mentioned before, it's the gas pedal and we just need to know when to put on the brake because if, if otherwise I think nothing would ever get done, uh, you know, in, in any situation, if you didn't have a little bit of go and it's just realizing when it's a problem, there was a lecture that you gave once and it, what it talked about, okay, what's the rabbit and what's the tiger And the tiger anxiety is more like, you know, when it does start to interrupt your, you know, life function and then you say, okay, then that's, you know, that's definitely when something needs to intervene. Because there's a lot of times parents will ask us, you know, do I need to worry about this particular Mm -hmm. behavior or this child's thought? You know, they said this, 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 and if they're still functioning really well, and and I always say there's like five goals I want to have, and we need to get really take a deeper dive into intervention if you know there it has to do with their self esteem or achieving academically or disruptive behavior, making friends and being social, and then self care, and so I, it's it's kind of like easy when you break it down for them, and we know too that. Ultimately, each experience that we go through, it's about resilience and problem solving and, and so on. And so let's say, for example, now we're talking to some families and we know, okay, there, we need to teach them some strategies, some health strategies so that maybe they're still functioning pretty well, but there's certain areas like maybe school, for example, they're sitting in class, they start to feel anxious and they don't know what to do. And I know, you know, I'll tell them a lot of times deep breathing, but then it's like, they kind of look at you like, oh yeah, well, I know how to breathe, but I don't really know what you're talking about. So let's talk about some of those strategies. I mean, what do you tell families Look, when you start to feel like that, you know, that gas is just going and you need to put the brake on, what are, what are some strategies we can help with? So, um, to actually start with it, understanding that you're anxious 
mm-hmm. is harder than it sounds. So even like recognizing the emotions in the first place is um, not what every child is born with. Yeah. Like having a catalog of what I'm feeling right now. So um, it's often easier and to think about it in terms of what is happening in their body. Like, how do they know they're anxious? Like, what does that right. mean? Right. Um, if you ask a kid that has, and I'm sure Sarah for me says a million times, like I never ask a kid, are you anxious? anxious yes. The correct answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and they're really good at giving you the correct answer because being wrong is like the opposite of what an anxious person wants to be. So correct. I know what answer. Right. Um, and so it's, it's less intrusive to kind of ask, like, are you good at worrying? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And um, kids that have you know, like generalized or some specific anxieties can be like, oh yeah, this whole bunch. So then like, it's helpful to know, okay, so what's happening in your body? Like, how do you know you're anxious? And that's a lot more good at like information about where the person is in terms of how much like insight they have, as well as even the parent, like, how can the parent tell they're anxious? Like what, right. what do they do? How do they look? How do you know um, that your child's you know, struggling with something? Um, Cause the parent, like everybody's different, but the parent is always like the expert in their child. Yeah. So it is, um, you know, my, my role in a lot of these cases is to kind of offer about like what might be considered, you know, a disorder problem or a natural adjustment to something. So thinking about deep breathing, it is, um, I think I have successfully had this opportunity a couple of times, but it is helpful to kind of model in the moment. Right. Um, you know, especially if you're, you know, if somebody's really upset in front of you, like changing your own body posture is a great way to model like why that works. So, you know, those real life experiences are like the most tangible thing for kids. Um, and being able to kind of just without even talking, just kind of breathe and just slow your own pace down. Mm -hmm. And it's just human nature to join. Like that's part of our core. What kept us instinctually alive all this time is to join together That's right. and, um, kind of watching the person like calm down and just decrease the stimulation piece is huge. And then you can talk about it, like what happened and, you know, being able to slow your breathing down. And I can go through like the two minutes of how I teach a kid how, but um, if, again, if you just like teach them how they really won't know how to use it. Right. right. Uh, And they will always come back and say it didn't work. (laughs) Well, and that's interesting because you're right. I I have experienced that or parents will come back and say, I tried to do this with them and it didn't work. Yeah. And, and I, I really like that analogy of, you know, especially for, for the parents specifically that when the child is, is freaking out for whatever reason at any age, mm-hmm. you, just having them model, I think what great advice, because as parents, of course, our first instinct is to also run with them from away yeah. from the tiger to join with yeah. anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Like if my child is running away from a tiger, um, I'm going to yeah. run too. And what we really need to do is, run faster. <laughs> yeah, is protect them in some way. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so just first figuring out and, and two, you're right. I mean, just asking a child, you know, are you anxious? It's figuring out exactly how we can all ask those questions to really get the answers that we're looking for. Do you have any other examples of, of how parents can 
mm-hmm. can get in tune with their their kids to kind of see what's what's going on in their head because like you said they don't always know the kids don't always know and the parents mm-hmm. don't always know either and mm-hmm. that is always one of my biggest fears is when the parents are completely unaware and and I'm not saying it's the parents fault it it happens mm-hmm. more often than we actually think mm-hmm. I think this is like our opportunity to hit the reset button with this intergenerational um, gift of anxiety. So it it is, you know, something that is genetically passed for, you know, your risk of having a disorder, but also the environment. And I think the pandemic was a gigantic uh, um, reality check for a lot of people who may not have even had anxiety before, but now are unable to turn off that fight or flight system. So mm-hmm. that story of the rabbit and the tiger is often how I explain um, the when it's a disorder to somebody, but then also like the treatment and why it works okay. for it. And the idea of, you know, if you hear a wrestling in the jungle and you're all by yourself and you hear this wrestling, in order to stay alive, you need to like kind of perk up, listen be aware of all, everything around you. Like your senses get turned up very much. All the blood rushes away from your stomach and goes to your muscles, even sometimes away from your brain and to your muscles so yeah. that if you need to run or fight, you can. Uh, and that's protective. But when you see like a little bunny jumping out from under the bush, you're like, oh, that is a rabbit. I am not going to like be eaten by the rabbit. Right. Unless you're in a Monty Python skit, but <laughs> you're not going to be eaten to the rabbit. Uh, and your body naturally slows your breathing down and turns on that counter pathway that helps your body calm. So you'll kind of feel like this, like um, I kind of think about it like a lead or like a heavy gravity that happens when your calm down pathway kicks in. And when you have anxiety, um, you're often hearing the rustling in the forest or the jungle, um, but it does not turn off when the rabbit pops out. It's okay. still on hyper alert. So like that kind of um, vigilance is often like what the brain is going through and having that much stress and having that much cortisol, having that, that system flowing for so long is not, is not good for the brain. It's not good for brain health. So how do you, um, there's many different layers to this, but how do you, yeah, let's like, start. what do you do if you see it in your kid? And, and I think the first part is just like helping them become aware of when it's happening. Mm-hmm. because it's like an unconscious natural instinct to do it. It is not something the kid is choosing to do. And it is not something that the parent is choosing to do. It is like natural. How do they become aware then? How do they get to that place where, because so mm-hmm. often they, they really don't know, like you said. And, um, and it's funny, even when I'm documenting, when I'm seeing patients, there's that, you know, what are the, what are the stressors or triggers? And a lot of times I don't, I don't walk away with those answers You know, mm-hmm. for sure. Not me, but how do we help them kind of get to that point? So they know mm-hmm. where their starting point is and what they have yeah. to work on. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the pediatric office, I'll often ask or just talk to kids about um, what they're telling me. Like when you have to do a presentation in class, like, what do you notice? about your body like it's like yeah. tell me about give an example yeah yeah so like it's like are you or they come in with a lot of stomach aches so I'll go through the charts and be like you know I noticed that you've come in at these certain times with these symptoms 
Like, do you tend to hold stress in your stomach? Or even for younger kids, we'll ask uh, or just let them know, like, hey, sometimes when our worries are kind of so much or our stress is so much that our brains kind of check out, it often takes it out on a part of our body. So even if we don't want to think about it, yeah, sometimes the anxiety can be taken out in your body and um, you might get a stomach ache or you might have constipation or diarrhea or something like that in your belly. Um, you may have headaches, uh, have a hard time breathing, like asthma attacks. Uh, and it's when that's happening, um, you know, when you have asthma attack, that, that is real panic because you, <laughs> yeah. that is actually um, a survival thing that's helpful. But if you're getting asthma attacks only when you're feeling anxious, it might actually be anxiety that's kind of driving it more so than that's it a, it's a little more complicated. Yeah, it's like the anxiety is the trigger versus, you know, uh, it might be a panic smoke attack. or exercise or, yeah. you know, something that right. we know exactly. triggers. And that goes the same for ADHD too, because mm-hmm. they'll come in or they think they have ADHD and mm-hmm. they're saying, I'm not concentrating. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, performing like I, I'm expected to in school or, you know, the parents are concerned about this. And, and a lot of times we think, oh, it's ADHD, but we have to take a step back and kind of look at the big picture. And again, going back to, well, how are you sleeping? Because if they don't get good sleep, that affects their concentration. Are you eating breakfast? I mean, sometimes it can be that simple. It doesn't actually have to be very complicating Mm -hmm. and just breaking it down for families and helping them realize, okay, there's, you know, there's more, there could, could be more to it. And it might actually be, the, you know, lack of concentration or not doing well in school mm-hmm. is their way of not being able, you know, they think it's, it has something to do with ADHD, but that might be what's their actual symptoms are of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I get, or, um, yeah, they're trying yeah. to, that's exactly like those puzzle pieces. Like yeah. they're trying to tell you something, but they may not know what it is. Um, it's just true. something's not quite right. Yeah. One of the, but I think like, Talking to parents, I think um, the most helpful thing is to actually, there's lots of different things that are helpful, but just kind of thinking about it in this context, um, you know, helping them create this like mind body connection with the child. So not in the moment, okay, uh, because rational thinking is not an option when your anxiety is very high and you're. Um, fight or flight pathway is in full gear that is not like during the peak of a tantrum is not the time to offer insight that's going to be meaningful <laughs> to the child so you know when they're calm and have like regulated and been able to relate what's going on and then actually using the, accessing the thinking part of the brain um being able to then say, Hey, I, I think that reaction was like more than what I expected or mm-hmm. you know um that looked really uncomfortable for you. Did it take a long time to calm down? Uh, things like that to like join with the child because nobody likes feeling like that. Um, I mean, nobody wants to be that angry, um, you know, on a, in a typical, um, a typical you know, setting. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. When, when we talk about, you know, in the beginning, I mentioned something about there's, you know, we spend a lot of time in our head with our thoughts. Mm -hmm. When we're helping, trying to help 
either the young kids or or the the adolescents change those ants, those you know um, negative thoughts. What can we tell them? Okay, you're you're having an an um, an ant, you know, like a automatic negative thought. Um, that's what it was, right? That was now I'm forgetting because I was small yeah. ants. Um, and um, you know, how do we help them? basically change that thought strategy, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and go from there. Mm -hmm. We call that cognitive behavior therapy, but I'm just very simply when we're talking to to kids or parents in the, in the moment, how do we put their worries into those words? You know, it's um, for each person, the way that they absorb that and internalize that is going to be different. What I would offer is like, and that's really what the whole point of a therapist is, is to really individualize that understanding and skill set to the child and to the parent. Um, And the idea of what therapy is, is, you know, not really sitting on a couch. I know you've had a therapist like describe this before. Yeah, no, it's (laughs) okay. It is worth repeating. It is, um, you know, it's really a coach, like it's a thought coach or a behavior coach. And just like, you know, with, um, learning an instrument or just like, uh, getting, you know, having us playing a sport or something like that, like you need coaching. It's not yeah. like these skills aren't naturally acquired or just appear out of nowhere. So maybe you have to practice. So, but the idea of, um, these automatic thoughts are what you're describing are these patterns, like these common themes that happen, um, when it becomes an either an unhelpful or an inaccurate thought. So things like uh, catastrophizing, like if one little thing goes wrong, it is like everything is going to, you know, that means that this bad thing is going to happen and bad, 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 and it's just going to get bigger and bigger. There's like the snowballing effect that happens with catastrophizing. Discounting positives is another good one where you have a great day, but the one little thing that went wrong is like the That's negative what remember. hypervision that yeah. you focus on. Oh, yeah. I, I think <laughs> so, at any age we do that, right? Right? Like, and these are things that, that happen. Like, everybody naturally has these thoughts, but it's really like cranked up when it starts to become a disorder. Yeah. Um, but it really creates this like negative affect or this negative like vibe internally, which comes out as irritability you know, trying to control something else. Like it just, it comes out in unhealthy ways. Um, but the other um, black or white thinking is a very common one too, where it's either like all, all or nothing. Um, you know, if like nobody can be good and bad, but they're either good or bad. And it's not, you know, that's not real. <laughs> Everybody yeah. makes mistakes and goes through it. Um, so they're just like, people are just working through something at all points in life. So how do we share that kind of flexible thinking and distress tolerance with kids? That's really part of this resiliency and brain health that is um, critical right now with this pandemic happening. It is, it is. I, I won't go into detail about a case that we've discussed with our colleagues and, and how even if you do everything for your child, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, that's not good either because then they never Mm -hmm. learn to be resilient, to be able Mm -hmm. to manage and, and problem solve. And, and so 
it's it it's true there's so so many layers to it it's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's complicating and and um you know just trying to help everybody manage you know their their thought process but i love uh, no pun intended but i mm-hmm. i do like your analogy of of the going back to the tiger and the rabbit is that it we know that it's more of a disorder and make sure i'm saying this right Mm-hmm. Or a problem if in that situation the rabbit comes out, but you still think that there's going to mm-hmm. be some sort of catastrophe that's going to mm-hmm. happen versus the person or child that looks at the rabbit and says, oh, it's just a rabbit. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And but there's the flip side of that where they still feel we're not okay. If there's mm-hmm. this is this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course. Everyone listening, if you're resonating to some of this in any way, you know, Dr. Harris and I want to recommend you talk to your doctor, you know, start with Mm -hmm. your primary care doctor and, and, um, and, you know, go through that, that process of, you know, helping, helping, you know, not only yourself, but your family to face and work through work through the problems and be able to reflect. I feel like so Mm -hmm. often we're so busy. We're just always moving, moving, moving that to have that ability to sit down and go, okay, what's working. You know, when we are, when you Mm -hmm. suggested, look, we can teach them to breathe, but chances are they might come back and, and not, um, Mm -hmm. and not do it. So I try to say, okay, well, what, what worked well, what didn't yes. work well. Yes. And then now the next step is, you know, what can we do now moving forward and really getting them involved in, in that yeah. decision-making too, because absolutely we're not going home with yeah. them, you know? So, right. <laughs> so one of the, the funny things, like I often, um, cause there's a, a, you know, often kids are, um, very sad to, I mean, as part of the disorders too, it's, it's hard to get motivated. If you have depression, it's hard to see anything positive and like such a negative view and to kind of push through that. It's hard work Yes, to be is. able to tolerate distress and uh, know that nothing bad will happen and just wait until your anxiety dials down. Like exposures is a very hard thing to do. Um, so then when you fail, or you don't get it done, or you, you know, miss the, uh, you can't get finished the assignment or what have you. That's actually a great opportunity. And that's where you start learning. What are these like core beliefs that are driving the resistance or driving your, um, uh, what is getting in the way of you becoming like more healthy and how you're thinking about something right. uh, or how you're approaching it. So I think honestly, the errors are a lot more informative when you're in cognitive behavioral therapy, the, the uh, obstacles or the failed homework, failed, and I'm doing air quotes, failed homework assignments <laughs> are, are like the, the beef of when you actually start to recover. Like what about that was hard, you know? Like, why is this upsetting to you? Those, right. those kinds of things are critical. Like, they're really powerful things to be able to really drill down and, and see what this core belief is. And then, so once you kind of get there, then how do you change it? Like, is it accurate and is it helpful? And right. if it's not one is of those two true? things, mm-hmm. that's how you change it. Like, you have to know where to cha- how to change it. So there's some the great techniques with um, with little kids about, like, 
even mantras about just because I have these thoughts doesn't mean that it will happen, you know, just because I have a fear that someone will break into my house does not mean it will happen. And like things like that, where the fear is real, but it is not helpful, you know, like that all these things, bad things can happen, but it's not helping you. And what you need to do is to kind of live and function and continue to grow. And those thoughts are definitely getting in the way. Um, unless there is like a, a safety issue, that's a different story. Then again, that's not actually a disorder that is adaptive. Okay. Understanding the difference. Yeah. And so you are saying again, to distinguish the two, is it like, is it true? Is it accurate? Mm-hmm. And then what was the other part of that? Is it, accurate? Is it helpful? Is it helpful? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when they're thinking about something or, you know, they have these, these thoughts that of course we know lead to the, to the, to feelings and actions mm-hmm. affect our body. That's the whole, um, core of, of this whole mm-hmm. thing about cognitive behavior therapy. So they really need to, the, the question that we have to ask ourselves or even parents can kind of think about when they're looking, you know, trying to think like their child, you know, get down to their Mm -hmm. level, so to speak. And that is, is it accurate and is it helpful? And, Mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, we can even, anybody can actually think about that because we talk about worry Mm -hmm. and you know, how worry doesn't really change anything. It just, Mm -mm. it's just a thought. Yeah. That was like mind blowing. I had a psychologist share that with me and uh, she was like, these are just thoughts that we're having. Yes, they affect our bodies and our, our behavior, mm-hmm. which is like the core of the cognitive model, but they're just thoughts. Yeah. And so and really, they go away and they change to different things. They're like literally thoughts. They are. And again, just kind of thinking, mm-hmm. is it helpful? Is it accurate? Yeah. And if you yeah. can't answer yes to those, then it's, that's what we're talking about is working on changing those thoughts. Yeah. I know sometimes, um, you know, we, we talk about that fight or flight and that's that sympathetic system. And I like to say, you know, the, when I try to explain that to families, the sympathetic system is not very sympathetic to us sometimes, but, but going over into that relaxed or what we call the parasympathetic system, that relaxed mode and that's where like taking a deep breath or taking some deep breaths mm-hmm. or um, taking a walk or mm-hmm. if, you know, you are home and maybe even just a bath or a mm-hmm. shower, just things that help calm and definitely yeah. want to encourage parents, like Dr. Harris said, to if, if you start to change and model your behavior, then they'll, it's like you said, it's just human to kind of go mm-hmm. along with it. You know, mm-hmm. how many times have you laughed at something then you didn't even know what you were laughing for, you know, because everybody else was laughing and everybody just, you know, it's just funny, Yeah, but you don't really know what is funny, but you just start laughing because everybody else is, it goes, it goes both ways, you know, mm-hmm. if people are sad or down, how, how contagious that is, but, um, changing those, um, thoughts are, are definitely not easy and. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I agree with, which is why the experts are, that's why they're, they're there. And it's like what they do. <laughs> well, I know. And I know I appreciate everything that you do. And I think too, um, let's touch just a, a, a few minutes on exposure. Mm-hmm. 
What are your mm-hmm. thoughts about that? Because you hear about, okay, well, if we've got this fear. I mean, number one, I would say for what I see is school avoidance. And mm-hmm. that's a tough one. And mm-hmm. really the best thing that parents can do is is get their child to get to school. Um, mm-hmm. But can you explain what that is all about? That exposure um, idea? Sure. I think... Um, and I'm going to try to remember one thing that you said at the beginning of the phrase, it'll come to me in a second, but the idea of school refusal, um, the idea is that when you're, when you have an anxious child, it is very natural to accommodate their behaviors or decrease the distress in the rooms. Sometimes this comes from a survival technique of, look, I just need to go to sleep, come in the bed, whatever. Right, it's, right. Some things that just happen naturally in parents and I am not, again, you are the expert in your child. Yes. <laughs> but it is um, when the accommodating behaviors interfere with the entire family functioning um, and even your own functioning, like at your own detriment. I think everything is a one-off is okay, but like patterns of behavior can develop very easily in parenting and having um, someone offer that, uh, you know, you're going to have to like actually have them do something difficult can be very stressful as a parent to hear. Cause you're like, no, 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 I've protected them this whole time from those horrible feelings. I know. Uh, and I don't know, but I think, um, you know, having the idea of exposure is, to um, just like, uh, it's hard to explain, but it's more like when you are confronted with something difficult and you, the more you're confronted with it, that difficulty um, expectation like decreases, if that makes sense. Like so almost like, like a desensitization. Exactly. It is a desensitization or like an extinction thing. So if, you know, I don't ever want to go ice skating again. Um, but, you know, thinking about putting on the skates and just walking around the house, putting on the skates and like kind of just doing them as a gradual exposure in terms of, you know, what the um, idea is, if it's unhelpful and not accurate, like whatever the core belief yeah. is, um, having those like gentle exposures to kind of build confidence and also, you know, pairing it with um, a positive experience can like help with that behavioral activation that happens and can help um, repair some of those unhelpful pathways. Um, And the best evidence, especially when it's severe or moderate to severe, when it's really impairing functioning in a couple of different areas um, is like the medication plus the cognitive behavioral therapy together, because then they can Um, you know, recover, get those healthy pathways going and really build them in the brain, which is a tremendous gift to be able to have um, like a recovery from, I mean, anxiety is technically like a chronic disorder, um, but when it's kind of untreated for a very long time, it can get harder and harder to repair. And um, the tolerance that the kid has to uh, manage is like much Harder. So I think with the school refusal and especially with the pandemic where nobody could go to school, right? Um, a lot of kids did great out they of did. school. And those were the first kids back when school was starting because we need people. And that is critical to our human development and social connectedness is part of those resiliency and protective factors. 
And when you're isolated like that, it is extremely hard to have that human connection um, that you so desperately need. So um, the routine, and actually we think about a trauma model um, in the pandemic equals trauma. (laughs) And when we think about a trauma model, you mentioned some things with brain health, but it actually is like, even down to the molecular level in the brain, it is the, like the rhythm, the repetition, the expectation, the predictability. Um, these are all things that we need to have to create a safe zone. So like the idea, music is brilliant with how um, it repairs, not just your soul, but like, you know, like how you feel when you're listening yeah. to music that you really enjoy, but even like the rhythm or the predictability and the um, the patterns with it and the repeats are regulating for the brain and it helps the brain recover when it's gone through something traumatic. Dialing this back to the school refusal piece, yeah. um, bringing the parent, like bringing parents in are they're actually critical for this role of how do you help get a kid through this um, when they're actually the coaches. So instead of being the protector, when you're able to shift into the coach mode, you're able to, con- you're not reinforcing that the kid needs you to protect them. You're reinforcing that, no, you're going to be okay. I do not believe that you're going to be, um, you know, violently ill and throw up in front of your classmates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't believe that's going to happen. Uh, and you're okay. You need to go. Like the important thing is to go to school. And when they have like a, a, an attached figure that they're secure with, kind of pushing them to do something that's hard, the amount of growth that happens for that child is tremendous. It's like, okay, wow. I know this is hard. Mom's not letting me come home anymore. Dad says I can do this. Like, you know, whomever. Yeah. It's, um, it's very therapeutic for the child and they'll recover a lot faster. Um, then if we just continue to keep them in a more protected, more isolated, more withdrawn state. I love that analogy that the parent needs to be, needs to shift to that coach so mm-hmm. that, so that they can reinforce to the kids that they're okay. I mm-hmm. I really, I really like, I like that thought process and mm-hmm. and I like it, it. It's saying to the parents or we're saying to the parents, you know, look, it's okay to, mm-hmm. to help your child in that way. Uh, it, in the long run, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to make such a difference. Yeah. Just like what you were talking about in terms of protecting them from things or letting them fail in some ways. When you tie your shoe or learn how to tie your shoes. Yes. Your parent can 100% do it. And with their eyes closed, 18,000 things happening, and it's perfect every time. But the only way we got there is because we practiced when we were four and five and messed it up all the time and it would come undone. And, you know, and then you learned how over time with those exposures to do something hard takes practice. So does recovering from anxiety and depression. Actually, it's, it's more about like how, from my perspective, how you um, recognize when anxiety is getting in the way and how you push it out so that you can go on with your life and have those fun experiences, have those opportunities for conflict resolution, uh, being able to confront somebody knowing that you're not being mean, you're not being rude, you're actually just dissenting an opinion. 
Um, and that's okay. Like these are like critical life skills that they need in adulthood that are part of this social connectedness piece. Cause you're not going to, just because you're friends doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect. Right. There's, I mean, think about marriage, you know, it's, oh gosh, it's not always, <laughs> and, and, and even being a parent, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. we're not always, always perfect, but we, yeah, it's how you recover. <laughs> right. Recover. And, and again, it's like what went right, what went wrong and what can we do better? And mm-hmm. so thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I know we, we barely scratched the surface in a, in a very, um, important and, uh, um, very complex brain health is very complex, but a couple things that I just want to reflect on is I love that meant what you said about how mental health, everyone has mental health. And that's what we're going for. We want mental health. We want to be <laughs> mentally healthy. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So I think too, even just changing our thought pattern about mental health in general is, mm-hmm. is a great start. So thank you again so much for being. Thank you so much for with. having me. And don't forget to follow Growing Up With Dr. Sarah on wherever you uh, listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, for example. And let's grow up together.